everyone. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the third episode of Plant Compassion. Today, I'm with another great friend, Deva Hardeep Singh. Deva, how are you doing today? Doing well, my friend. How about you? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. I'm really excited to have you on, really. Good. Don't know why I'm uninteresting, I think, but... In I my eyes, you're one of the most interesting people I know, truly. Why is that? You're, I don't know, you're like a saber saint who adores animals and likes cracking jokes. You, you just, you remind me a lot of like Ramdas when I used to like, one, one Skype call I had with Ramdas, it was just jokes and chill. I was with a few other people, but you you give off the same vibe, the freeness, you know, I like it. Yeah, I learned a long time ago that it's, you know, I came from a pretty horrific childhood um, and a lot of, you know, I just didn't understand why this chaos was in front of me. And music and humor were my two escapes. And you're very and good at both. To be honest, being a class clown was not only did it give me positive attention, it it came quite naturally to me. And when I gravitated into broadcasting and radio at a very young age, um, I had quite a knack at just how quickly we could be talking or be coming out of a song and how quickly my mind can find something humorous to say and so it's just a part of my personality now that in a normal conversation I just automatically go to humor without realizing you know it's not that I'm trying to it's just part of my character I love it man because it helps it gives people a smile it does me. Anytime I see you comment on things I put, it's usually some of the best jokes I've ever read. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes I wonder how you choose to word things. I think you're trying to elicit some of those comments too from many uh, different people. Oh, definitely. I mean, like back when I used to be in the more comedy podcast scene, I think it's still in there. I mean, I try and be the kind of all good, happy, compassionate, loving beat, but I can't help just being a little bit of a, <laughs> a little bit of a trickster, a little bit of, I wonder if I can play some strings with some people and just see what giggles I can get. I can't help. Yeah. It. You're definitely the straight character. You deliver the straight lines and you're opening up the audience to whoever can deliver the punchlines. That's like, I don't, that, that's me. I don't, I can't really give much insight, knowledge or other things, but I can open the door to someone who can. <laughs> you know, um, and I also have learned that humor is a way to open up dialogue in society. I mean, it's a lot of times, and we were talking about this earlier, you know, I think Americans can be rude without knowing how rude they are. 
Yeah. And sometimes humor can be a way to make them realize they shouldn't be asking questions like that to people and that it's rude. But if you deliver that message with humor, you know, they all their friends start joking, they turn red and they walk away and their friends will keep reminding them forever not to ask questions like that. And definitely, I never will forget, I was in a biker bar one time and this biker was, you know, giving me hell because I ran around with a lot of musicians and mm. this is back in the 70s and I had an earring in my ear and this one biker was just giving me hell. He was just like, you know, I can't remember if it's your left ear or your right ear that makes you queer. Oh, and God. I just turned right around to him and said, you know, it's not which ear that makes you queer, but whether or not someone's on their knees doing something. And I mean, all these tough bikers just beer spewed out of their mouth they were laughing and i think that guy never asked again which ear an earring could be in to make it queer you know that's um, definitely a good way to reply to that question it, it amazes me that that <laughs> question is even still it's asked i mean i i got asked it when i had my ears pierced at school like was it left or right? I can't, I can't even remember. And I don't care because it does not matter. But that's hilarious. <laughs> well, well, I'm here to tell you, having an earring in your left or right ear has absolutely nothing to do with homosexuality. Wow, it's like culture and lies completely made it up. You know uh it's you know we humor is good you humor know but good. george carlin was very good at that george was incredible <laughs> you know but yeah you know it's you know and i think for me growing up out of complete chaos and fear and I mean just the horrificness and I'm not going to get into the blah 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 of what I went through but it was pretty horrific mm. um, and I knew there had to be something better in life because if this was it then why would someone choose why would someone choose this exactly. why would ch someone choose this life to come into to experience and the dichotomy of it all is we went to a fairly rural conservative church and I just, I felt like I was an actor because I knew how we lived our life at home and it was totally different than how we were dressed and portrayed 
you know, we were at church and the fear of God was put into us by both our parents that if we tell anyone what was actually going on, the wrath of God would come down upon us. And so it's, it's like, you know, here we are in a place of worship that tells us to be truthful, but our parents are giving us this message not to be truthful. And when you're three and four, you just can't, you can't equate that. That just doesn't make sense. No, it's, it's, it goes against almost your nature in a way. Like you're a little kid, you're very innocent, yet you're in an environment where you're having to completely lie and you're given these like in a, as a child fairy tale almost like frets that this being of divinity is going to harm you because i don't know you didn't wear your sunday best how dare you it's ridiculous the whole stereotype yeah. with the sunday best as well like you've got to save your best clothes and be on your best behavior on sunday for god but the realistic thing is they're only doing it for everyone else in that church not for god and everyone else in that church is doing the exact same thing they're doing it's a massive yeah, i mean play. oh yeah and you transition into a learning environment and your peers. Um, I was pretty headstrong. You know, the second day in first grade, we were taking our pencils and drawing the stick figure schoolboy with a backpack on a curved line to the school and back. Hmm. And the second day, it was a girl, but the same curved line and the same school. And I put my pencil down and the teacher was like, why aren't you doing this? And I said, I did this yesterday. I don't need to do it today. Mm -hmm. You know, give me something new to do. Um, okay. And I couldn't understand why I got in trouble. I mean, I'm supposed to be learning don't make me do the same thing that i already know how to do i can draw a curved line i know, you know? is one thing i've noticed with schools is they don't actually ask a lot of the kids what the kids actually know if if you ask the kids that then you'll get along through things a lot faster i mean i learned so much pointless relearned pointless stuff especially when I got to secondary school, we basically relearned the whole of World War II for a year for no reason. Yeah, let's teach war and, yeah, destruction. Let's get that embedded in our minds. Oh, and the other part of history was medicine as well, and that wasn't even the good side of medicine. That was just like the plague and disease and just... Oh, the progress of surgery and how they didn't use to wash the hands. You know, all the nice stuff. <laughs> all the good stuff. Yeah. Like, if I was a history teacher, there's so much more worthwhile things or interesting things that I could think of off the top of my head than World War II and generalized medicine. Yeah, but you English folks, you, you have an interesting relationship with plagues viruses you know weird science 
I mean, the whole world is right now, ironically. <laughs> you don't know. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, which kind of surprises me. Boris made weird choices in the beginning. I'm like, come on, you guys went through the Black Plague. You know how to handle this. I'm, that, that's been stated so many times over here you'd have no idea like people were making jokes about the plague mask being similar to the masks and just there was just all these inconsistencies of like we could have looked back and just gone away a minute guys um all we had to do was lock this down securely and put in a restriction of where people don't think there's this magical lie <laughs> You know, there was trust back with the Black Play because it got to the point where people were dying in the streets. You know, it's funny. Um, there is a group that I found while I was journeying <laughs> in my 2020 of being my world travels inside my house during 2020 through Zoom. And um, it was an LGBT group and several of them are from the UK and one of them is looking at getting a job that uh, will be a volunteer vaccinator, mm, you know, yeah. on rolling out the vaccinations. And I was like, and he's male. And I said, are you going to wear the frumpy outfit? You know, <laughs> and he's like, what? You know, because the very first vaccine in the UK was this stereotypical English nurse with the little white apron and the wide butt and, you know. Red um, cross. Yeah, you know, but, but she didn't have red on. It was blue. Back then, yeah. You know, and she's given the shot to some 90 year old person you know and i just thought yep that's an that's an english nurse proper proper nurse it does make me giggle that we are we have got a second black play going on and it is kind of reliving itself in similar fashions <sighs> the irony and what what's sad is number one the globalness of it and the countries with the lowest density of monies and living conditions are the ones that are taking the brunt of the disease and yep. You know, I'm also seeing people saying, you know, I don't see enough people around me dying or getting it, so I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm beginning to think it's all a hoax, you know, and I mean, just the concept, why, why would there be a need to do a worldwide hoax? you know, a worldwide April Fool's joke. I mean, that just doesn't make log logical sense. What I like to ask people is like, so where's everyone going then? Because I know people that have 
quote unquote, if it is in their mind, quote unquote, died of coronavirus. So where are they going then? So are they just being murdered with somewhere else or what? Because even so, that's still like, I mean, I've known um, my friend Nandi, his uncle passed away from it. I mean, my uh, friend Stu, he passed away from it. And then I know other people that are still afflicted by it. I'm like, why would, are these, is that, are my friends being paid by the government to act this all out? Are they like, it's, I don't, I mean, I can understand why people are frustrated about it, but the fact that people are going to the levels of complete dismissal when, I mean, I have sad, been sad enough to see some ice, some of the wards, ICU units, why they have been busy i mean in england it's hard because we have um uh, what's it called privacy and it's called something else but in the medical scene you're not allowed to go in and basically publicize people's illnesses blah 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 you can't just have someone go in a hospital and start filming because everyone has would have to sign off individually because of their different implements why they're there blah 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 but so, and loads of people are like so where's all these videos and stuff i'm like because people are dying and they want their privacy do you really think people want to see their dying mother and stuff publicized on their tv like do you re- if you really want to see what's going on go and help go help out <laughs> why aren't these people going and helping out instead of complaining go to the hospital and help out and then see well, they they love to argue, you know, because you logically give them a logical explanation. And then they say, well, you know, it's this then. And then you give them a log- logical explanation why that's not true. Well, the government's lying to you. Well, what, why would the government? And then, you know, I've started asking people, where are you getting your information? Exactly. And in, a, in America, you know, um, we have some really false flag media that thrives on conspiracy theories. And very much so. I mean, you the, know, there's the attack you can't on Capitol talk logic to them. No, you, you can't. Know? No, not at all. There's, I've, I've had to block people because I don't like blocking people or stopping talking to people because I still like to believe there is a glimmer of now, hope. Wait a second. You don't like to block people, and you're the one with a damn mace picture with this huge ball and spike. Spinning <laughs> over your head, you you, you want to block people. <laughs> Depends. I mean, it's gotten to the point that I've had to because it's just you can't get in. People are so lost in their own delusions and egos with this that there are. Yeah. I I don't see hope with a lot of people. One of my best friends, well, he's not anymore. I can't talk to him because he truly believes there is no. There is no coronavirus. There is no COVID-19. And like all the hospitals have actually been empty and people have been lying. I'm just like, I know people who have died. Where are my friends then? Where's my friend Nandi's uncle? Has he gone on a long business trip for what, six months now? 
like again yeah. i can understand if people think the government is not being completely reliable they think the numbers aren't completely accurate but the denial of it as a whole is what bothers me uh, and you, it doesn't matter even if this was a flu okay this is a really really fucking bad flu then it doesn't matter if three people are suffering or 300,000 in my mind, there's still people suffering from something. Well, here in America, people love to say, well, if you look at the numbers, the death rate is one to 3%. Yeah. Okay. And that may be true, but you're pretty good at math, right? So, so yeah okay i'm not i have dyslexia i turn numbers around numbers don't make sense in my mind um in america we have approximately approximately eight hundred and fifty million people okay based on census reports Jesus Christ. So what would 3% of 850 million people be? Jesus. Uh, quick math, come on, brain. Uh, I actually don't know if I can work it out. This you may is... have to use a calculator. I'm, and I'm legit going to actually have to Google this because this is a massive number. If it was thousands, I could probably do it. Wait, why don't I just subtract it into the decimal point? I am actually bad at maths, it seems. No, it's larger than that. I was going to say, it must make percentages obtained by multiplying 855 okay. million by 3%, 3% divided by. This is now a maths podcast, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> you would multiply it. No. You would at three percent even at three percent a lot of people dying i mean even my maths is bad and i've never been a hundred percent good at maths but if three percent of the american numbers is 25 million ish or even even if that's twenty five thousand, i don't care that's too many people that's too many people if if I had a statistic report that 25 or 20, 25,000 or 25 million people died, I'd be disappointed myself. Hey, if I got a, if I got a status report that two people died <clears throat> on my account of neglect, I'd be disappointed in myself. Okay. I just Googled what is 3% of 850 million. Thank you, Google. And it is 25 million. 500,000. Yeah, so it was the million. Jesus Christ. 25 
million. 25 million. So that's, that's, uh, I'm, I hate that we've become a maths podcast, but I want to know what the population of England is now. So how so, can someone say England is 67 million? Doesn't matter. How can you say 25 million human beings doesn't matter? That would be a third of my country. So for anyone listening in Britain, imagine a third of us just being wiped out. That's what America could reach to in these numbers or go past. It, it, it's, it, it's frightening. It shouldn't even be this high to begin with. So when people say, well, only one to three percent die, they haven't done the math. No, I mean, it, they're repeating what they've seen somebody else say or a meme on social media. Because if you take time to do the math, like we just struggle to do, you, how, how, how do you sweep under the carpet in a statement 25? million people and say they don't matter it 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 makes me feel sick because that's basically what a majority of people on trump's side of the government have said they have basically said to people sorry but a majority of you don't actually matter and people are like oh okay <laughs> and lapping it up because like your whole country i don't know is locked what is lockdown even like over there at all because we i am having i have to be in the house by law currently apparently yeah who was it uh reggae singer uh bob marley i fought the law and the law oh, won one. <laughs> yeah but anyway, let's not get too far off from topic. But when I was in school up until age 10, I had a huge speech impediment. Teachers couldn't understand what I was saying. My sister was one year older than me. Many of my teachers would um, send someone to her class to get her out to come to listen to me speak and then tell the teacher what I was saying. I had to go through the University of Tulsa speech pathology department up until age 10 with speech therapy twice a week just to learn to talk properly. And so not only was I dealing with the horrific conditions of living at home, I was made fun of quite a bit in school. So, you know, I, I had compassion for people. No one should have to be made fun of. No one should. Um, I always gravitated towards the people that society threw away, hmm. that peers threw away and didn't want anything to do with. And I mean, we can be horrific <laughs> at uh, 
trauma as kids on the yeah. playgrounds that will cause lifetime traumas that that child will have to deal with with counselors and psychiatrists and psychologists you know for a yeah. big part of their life uh we're not made aware of that which we're aware of that fact now we're more aware of that as we get older which really surprises me that parents don't spend more time teaching their children empathy skills and compassion skills yep a hundred percent a lot of the time with parents like especially when it's a bullying scenario and i don't a hundred percent necessarily disagree but a lot of the parents will say well hit them back then if you're getting bullied hit them back not necessarily always the good reaction to give especially these days yeah it's i mean and you hit upon something that in school, you're retaught the same things on World War II. So, I mean, we're instilling violence as the solution. Yep. And I mean, most, most English holidays are related to wars or atrocities we've done anyway. Right. So, um, you know... Early on, you know, I wanted to help people. I also had a friend of mine who had muscular dystrophy, and he was my best friend. I've known him since second grade, and it was interesting. Um, my mother and his mother were lifelong friends from second grade on as well yeah you know so we were yeah. second generation friends that's sweet and um people would push him down run past him he had braces on he had to use canes mm. um You know, so there was a few of us that hung out together and which I would call the nerd group and we protected each other. So, I mean, it was instilled at me at a very young age, you know, this idea of helping those that couldn't help themselves. Now, of course, when you're six or seven, you don't have the mental capacity to connect those dots you're just you know you gravitate towards being in a peer structure that's going to be less threatening yeah yeah you know but as you get older and you look back you can see that that's the foundational setting that you're building on helping those that can't help themselves a hundred percent yeah you know and i you know i've always been a spiritual person people have a hard time believing this story but you know i have no reason to lie about this mm -hmm. um 
as a child, I grew up on a farm. We had 80 acres. We had black Angus cattle. We had chickens that I laughingly that will now bring laughter to you. You know, <laughs> first thing you do in the morning is you get a hoe and you go out to the chicken coop, you know, and you use the hoe to kill the black snakes. <laughs> See? Just make sure you, you get the right hoe. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, us from a farming, that's a farming instrument. It's a blade that's slanted, connected to a wooden handle. But if you're from modern day society and you know nothing of farm instruments, your mind's going, why would I take a hoe with me out to the chicken coop to kill a snake? But, um, we had horses, we had well water, grew up with an outhouse, you know. Very and traditional. Know, yeah, you know, and for people that don't know what an outhouse is, it's a wooden structure with a round hole seat, kind of like a toilet seat, and a hole that's been dug into the ground and you take care of your business and uh, either have toilet paper or the Sears and Robux catalog to, you know, use this tissue. <laughs> and my dad always said they used uh, dried out corn cobs. And I'm just kind of like, God, that would hurt, you know. Wait, corn cobs aren't soft at all. No, that's a bristly bum. <laughs> yeah, you know, and... I kind of like the English approach with a bidet. That just that's much more loving and compassionate, you know. I mean, bidets are making a big comeback as well. I can understand why. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I've always been a spiritual person, but I remember as young as three and four roaming the field by myself and having conversations with God mm. and actually hearing his voice. And I want to put this disclaimer on, we're raised in a society that puts masculinity with God. And I think that's wrong because I don't think there's any um, gender mm. when it comes to God. So I apologize, you know, if I refer to God as he or him or his you know it's not sexist and it's not it's just you know i'm 58 and the, so the, i have this it's the aspect of god which most associates with what you're trying to put across that's yeah, how i usually say it for people but there is no gender with god no you know he's neither male nor female you know no. um but I would have conversations with God and I would hear God's voice. And it was not when you're having an imaginary conversation, sometimes you can imagine what the reply would be without actually audibly hearing the words. Yeah, you're kind of playing it, in your mind. That's not what it was. Mm. I audibly heard god's voice audibly mm. 
audibly. You've been checked, haven't you? <laughs> Just checking. No. But no, I still no. believe you anyway. Because <laughs> I, no. I, like you said, yeah. I, I did. Hmm. And as I got older and people said that I was making it up, I kind of turned that off. And I've kind of spent my lifetime trying to get back to the point where I could audibly hear God's voice. And I had an older brother who was five years older than I am. And, you know, um, I know Catholics don't get to choose, you know, no. when babies arrive, <laughs> so to speak. Um, but I will say, I don't think a five-year difference is loving because when a boy is 10, and the youngest boy is five, which 10-year-old wants to be around a five-year-old. And when the youngest boy is 10, name me a 15-year-old that wants to be around a 10-year-old. Very you know, true. There's, you know, when you're starting a family, you need to kind of look at the ages and the differences so that there's a little bit more harmony in the house. Yeah, get your timing but, right. Yeah. You know, if you're Catholic, kind of talk this out, get your timings down. <laughs> you other folks that aren't Catholic, just, you know, get your family started, then do the necessary steps to not have them later. Anyway, so um, Mommy Python's favorite song, Every Sperm is Sacred. <laughs> You very know. true um we said nightly prayers and my brother would just throw crap at me because it took me 30 minutes to say my prayers because when i said my prayers i could actually envision when i was little i could envision heaven and I saw all my friends up in heaven and I said, say hi to Billy and Mary and Joseph and Isaiah and, you know, all these kids that were still in heaven and next to them was like this huge slide. And when it was their turn, they would go down this hole and slide down to earth and no longer be in heaven, but be on earth. And so every night I would say their names for God to hug and kiss and let them know that I still know their names and I miss them. Hmm. And the older that I get and I believe in reincarnation, it's interesting that I had this vivid memory of other souls and their names and their faces all lined up waiting to come back to earth you know, especially with the iconography of them being there and coming back down that's not something that catholics like to talk about at all that you can come back from a death in heaven no way and you were perceiving at a young age reincarnation yeah you know so i've always been spiritual and um, so during the lockdown, you know, obviously I couldn't 
go to church and I have I've had my ups and downs with churches mm. you know and um some of the crap you know that I think churches believe in and push is you know bullocks I very and, much agree you know I started reading the Guru Granth Sahib and I have known about Sikhism my whole life. I've known some Sikhs. They've always intrigued me. Mm. Um, in my Native American heritage, uh, and especially with my tribe, the Uchis, um, in the 16 and 1700s, uh, many of them wore turbans. Mm. You know, so there's... And I think within the Punjabi culture and the indigenous culture, there's some cultural similarities. Definitely. Um, Yuchis, we call our god Gohantane. The Sikhs believe in a monotheistic one god. Um, indigenous people re always refer to one god you know, and we call him, that person Gohantane, which roughly equates to breath master, the one who gives us breath. Yeah, yeah. Which is real interesting in the city, Guru Granth Sahib, many references of Ekankar giving breath yep. to the human form. But you know, straight away, I, I've been an artist my whole life. I'm, I'm a poet. I loved how poetic the um, the Guru Granth Sahib is written. Um, I think that's what you know. There's always, yeah. I mean, going to be debates whether the 10 gurus actually wrote them themselves or whether Kabir and other poets wrote down the words from the gurus. But I mean, it's very poetic. Yeah. It's incredibly poetic. I mean, the whole Sikh faith to me seems very revolving around arts and that kind of thinking and lifestyle. Sure. You know, I mean, Guru Nanak from day one, when he said, Oh, I need to get up and travel and um, speak shabbats to people. But first, <laughs> I have to have a musician's. Yeah. Mardana, you're coming with me and you're going to put music to my words. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's always been around arts. Um, as you can tell, I got a warped sense of humor. <laughs> you know, I love it. You know. Is it the Australian swallow or the South American swallow? <laughs> I also love Monty Python. You know, you can't be a whole person if you're not into Monty Python. But the Sikhs believe in social justice. I'm a journalist. I still write. Most of my pieces that I write about are about social justice issues. I want to be the voice for those that don't have a voice. Yep. They're very strong on social justice. 
um, they're they're very strong about serving others in need. Yeah. And so let's quickly look at this farmer crisis. You you have farmers in Punjab that have left the farm and have marched and are now in Delhi. Yep. And the Kulsa Aid Organization is performing Langa. And if you don't know what Langa is, it's selfless service of preparing food for anyone, rich, poor, whatever. You just sit down next to someone and they bring you food and you eat and you get up. And this is done every day at the Mother Temple you know the mother church which is you know in amistar yeah and um they feed literally a hundred thousand people a day yeah and guru Nanak nanak um was the first to say you're not muslim you're not jew you're not christian you're a child of god yeah. he also shot down the caste system you know which has permeated india still to this day if you're born into this class of individual you can't rise above that class it's and since ridiculous like i know someone who uh is classed as an untouchable and their life is ridiculous because of it in certain parts of india because they still view the caste system as a legit way to grade a person and it isn't at all same problem i believe in bali don't like it isn't like people that are randomly princes and related to the royal family because of the caste system over there and it's ridiculous it doesn't matter where you're born or what to equal who you are <laughs> well no one since time immemorial we've never figured out how to take titles or money with us when we die so i mean we come into the world the same and we're going to die the same and we're going to return to minerals and dirt and just be bones you know 100 years after we're dead so i mean it's pretty silly to have titles you know it but is. um they do a lot of service, but you know, what's funny is the police in India use these clubs to hit on the farmers. And when it's time to eat, um, the farmers are sitting next to the policemen and everyone's sitting down eating together. And, you know, you could be sitting next to the policeman that just knocked the hell out of you on your knees. Yeah. With you know, but they're still eating because everyone deserves to eat. Yeah. You know, uh, it's total selfless service with no judgment. No judgment. At all. I've been to Tulanga in my life and it was incredible. It really was because there's absolutely, it doesn't matter. I, I mean, if the queen came in, it doesn't matter if you're in Great Britain and she wants to sit at the top of it. doesn't matter. She sits where is applicable. She sits next to someone who could be homeless. She sits next. doesn't matter. It's, it's incredible. I love it. Yeah. 
And so you tie this all back into the foundation that was started with me, with my friend with muscular dystrophy, other people that had speech impediments and were made fun of, the, the people that people love to make fun of, you know? I mean, yeah. we're still yeah. human beings. Yep. And when I was in high school, uh, my family was involved in the unions and my other cousins that were my age were part of the musicians union and they set up the concerts for all the bands coming through. And I was a schemer man in high school, you know, um, but a schemer in a good way. Yeah. So yeah. since I knew my cousins, I would go down and hang out with them and help bring in the equipment and uh, set it up on stage. And you do that long enough, everyone sees you backstage. You just get to be backstage the whole night yeah. without yeah. ever buying a concert ticket, you know, and you get to meet the band when they come in at three o'clock in the afternoon for sound check. So literally by the time I was 20, I had already seen over a thousand bands. That's awesome. I've, I've probably seen by now over 5,000 bands in my lifetime. And there's probably a band from the early seventies to mid eighties that I have not met or seen, you know, and I'm telling you, they all shit and piss the same way that I do. <laughs> and they have money problems just like we do. In fact, to give you a scenario, Smashing Pumpkins, when their album went double platinum and was selling out stadiums, hmm and was traveling the world um they were on jet airplanes flying from city to city uh t-shirts and you know jackets oh, yeah. it was a thing you know yeah um all that cost money to print up originally and the record company said we'll take care of it at the end of the tour, the accounting department comes in and says, well, jet fuel costs this. We had to rent this jet at this cost. Each of the members after that successful tour, each of the members had approximately $3,000 in the bank. Oh, God. <laughs> You just do a successful platinum record ending tour and you're still just scraping by. <laughs> you know, um, now you see a lot of artists that own their own labels. They cut distribution deals. Yeah. Um, they own their buses. They, you know, they've cut out how record companies used to screw the bands. So just because... Yeah they're on stage and they got the spotlight on them and you were paying 15 to 20 bucks back in the seventies to see someone. Um, they had money problems. Um, 
you know, when Yes was here, they were on the phones talking, you know, pay phones, calling home to England to talk to their wives. And uh, the wives would say, you need to talk to your son. He's been acting out. And so he's trying to play dad on the pay phone to a five-year-old or a seven-year-old. And, you know, they, they have the same problems that we do. Yeah. You know, the only difference is their line of work, there's paparazzis, there's newspapers, and I never will forget, um, I forget which band it was. I think maybe it was Aerosmith back in the 70s that said, the best thing that you can do in this business is not read and believe the stories that your press agent says about you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because their job is to make you sound bigger than Dallas, you know. They need to drum up press, literally. Yeah. So they're individuals. And we live in a society of people that want to get out of their present situations and they want to be like movie stars. They want to be this and they forget that we're all the same. And one of the things that I like about Sikhism is they really hammer you over the head to see God in each and every person. And I mean, I don't know how often during the day, especially on Facebook, somebody will make a post, you click on their picture to see who they really are. And the first thing is, oh, they're fugly, <laughs> you know. And <laughs> I'm like, oh God, I'm still judging people based on looks, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Am I seeing God in them? You know, how quick we are as human beings to try to push people into a box based upon their image or what they say instead of trying to see them as a child of God. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, and if go ahead, it's something it's i think i think it's a struggle even with people who like us that are practicing and such because i feel there's even people that are higher up in their own class systems and well in faith anyway that i don't think they truly do look at everyone and see god yet you know i don't know i think it's a hard thing i think it is well, but but not at the same time i don't know how can we make this a better world? We can't make this a better world mm. until we see the person on the opposite end of where our eyes are looking as being a human being just like us, yep. no matter what they're wearing or not wearing. Yeah, you that's, know, the, that's the baseline. 
that's the that it doesn't that's that's if if that's the ground of life that it, that is that, that we are all the same at the end of the day we're all gonna we all came out from the same place and we're all gonna end up turning to the same mush and atoms of dirt that won't resemble anything we all go through like you were saying with um musicians and stuff we all go through money problems i mean i donald trump may have been the president but he still had bloody tax evasions and shit that he had to deal with because people of power still have problems yeah that's that's life and until we realize that every single person can have problems and is susceptible just as we are we're not going to get that far if we think differently of individuals in the sense of their capabilities and their self-worth we're just stuck in a slump i was in a town right outside of cape town hmm. south africa um called malmsbury and it was a shanty town that we were it was a mission trip with the united methodists and when you hear the word mission trip you you think of people going and preaching the word of god and trying to save people's souls and get them registered in heaven yeah the, the the united methodists when they go on mission trips they raise about three to six thousand dollars per person so that they have money to buy products to build stuff and they go over and there's not one preaching session they're building churches medical clinics or something and they also find where god's operating in that town because god's always active somewhere yeah and nine times out of ten it's not at a church surprise surprise <laughs> and in Malmesbury, um all these white folks were toiling in the hot sun digging for the foundation and i mean that dirt had been baked in the sun far too long and after the second day i was just like you know they gotta have an equipment rental place in this town we need a jackhammer <laughs> to, to get this dirt up because using shovels and pickaxes we're not going to be anywhere in four days but if we get a jackhammer we can get this thing dug pretty fast to lay the concrete foundation mm. and we all agreed and tell you how much the sun had baked that ground we broke three jackhammers until we got it done 
Jesus. <laughs> so but, not hard, not hard at all then. <laughs> oh God, I you know I was just like shit. I'm gonna be here until I die at ninety and still not have a concrete leg. <laughs> and um, all these black people on bicycles, you know that they all go everywhere on bicycles. Um, was coming by the work site and just stopping and staring at us and they would holler at the other black people that were kind of in charge of the place that were kind of there to just talk to the people because you know if you just send white people and there's not other black people there guarantee you you know all of our clothes and shoes we would have been standing there naked you know <laughs> yeah um and so they were talking to our you know our friends and the number one question was how did you get white people to work for you and what are you paying them and when they said we're not paying them they're doing this for free the black people in town were like shut up <laughs> you know they wouldn't believe um <laughs> they couldn't believe that no and back then. now I, this is like 10 years ago 10 years okay actually yeah okay. that's what i mean i mean th th that's what i mean it, this the yeah. this idea of people helping others has been prevalent well, and white people, because white people in South Africa have always been, I mean, in the 1900s, from the pulpits, the white ministers would say to the black people, if God actually loved you, he would have made you white. Yep. Yeah. It, it, I've heard a lot from a few... I, I, most African people that I know have told me stories about what they were taught regarding white people when they were younger. And a lot of it is that white people were meant to be this superior thing. <laughs> wow. And, and, and to think that this guy was claiming to be the man of the cloth, the a man of God telling black people a creation of God that god didn't love them because they're not white wow 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 so anyway um the pastor of the place and we were laying the foundation for a new church and he was a guard no he was like a sub warden at a prison a couple miles away yeah yeah and on his lunch break he came down and him and I became friends and you know I just engaged him in a conversation and just said you know how are you what do you want in life you know and he said I want to be like you I want to own a house and I was like I don't own a house I yeah. rent. Yeah. And he looked at me and was like, Psh. and I went, no, I'm poor. 
Yeah, he, he went automatically assumed that you were of higher status because of your skin color. And he said, I know that you all pay three to six thousand dollars to come on this. And I said, Yeah, but what you don't know is there's a lady who's a multimillionaire in the church that I attend. And she wrote a check out for me to be here because if I would have had to pay three to six thousand dollars, probably would have taken me 10 to 15 years to save enough money to do that. Yeah. Yeah. His eyes got bigger. <laughs> and I said, I rent. I, I, I don't own anything. I own a car. And he said, well, you're just like me. And I said, yup. Exactly. That's the point. And he just, at that moment, his heart and my heart enjoined because he's like, then why are you here? Mm, and I said, yeah. you deserve to have another body here working. Yeah. I want to give. You deserve to have a building. And I want to work. You know, that's that's how much I believe in in what we call in Sikhs. Seva, you mm. know, giving of yourself non-judgmentally and with no ego. You just there's a need, you do it. It's like when people People come to me and say, like, they'll give me compliments about anything I'm doing regarding the plank bash thing or the charity. And I'm just like, again, I'm, and I don't mean it ironically, I'm literally just a servant to everyone. That's how I see myself. And I just have to laugh when people are like, but you do all this hard work. I'm like, of course I do, <laughs> because it's who I am. Now, most of the other people there that were working, uh, they had plenty of money and you know the three thousand to six thousand dollars was just a blip on their radar yeah you know um but word got out pretty fast that you know because he started telling his people this guy's broke like us and he's over here helping <laughs> you know yeah um that did more to make their hearts warm and feel loved than me even having to say, I love you. Yeah, I, I guess you formed, you formed that true connection. You'd like, you, you met, you found the middle ground of where you, like you said, your heart's connected because you, you, he realized you were in this pretty much a similar situation. So there was no longer this judgment of, oh, this guy's came all the way across the world of all of his money to come and help us. It's, oh, no, this guy out the, just out of love wants to help us. That's, that's, yeah. that's a, such a beautiful understanding. So he hooked me up with one of his older teenage 
members who sang and she showed me her shanty town mm. and one of the first things that she said is look at how we're dressed we all have nice shirts even our t-shirts are they have bling on them yeah and she said bling you know <laughs> um we know we're poor but we don't have to dress poor so we save our money up and we buy clothes so that we can stand tall mm. we don't want to be like other people but we don't want other people to look down on us yeah and unfortunately i have forgotten the word in her native language she used but in essence how they greet each other is so much like the movie avatar is yeah they say i see you hmm. yeah and the response is i see you hmm. you know um they don't say how are you because god you could be there 30 minutes while they go through their list of ailments so they look them in the eye and say i see you i see you as a human being i recognize you're alive i recognize that you're real i recognize that you're a person mm, it kind of it bypasses all the social bullshit and it gets to the nitty-gritty primal like i can like we're together like i i'm witnessing you now you know it, it's, it's just a beautiful moment i can't i can't really put it into words other than i see you like you're saying it's just it's beautiful because it's a true connection it's not the forced oh how are you hi what are you up to the fakery it's a true gre greeting and it's just beautiful and there was a black child that was dirty had a torn dress on she was about three or four and she was squatted down on her legs and she was digging through the trash that was you know people just throw their trash in the street and it just piles up yeah it's not like you you know got a garbage man to come pick up our bins and trash every day it's it's yeah. literally wherever you put it it's got to go and there's chickens and cats going through the same trash at the same time and this girl says i notice your camera do you want to stop and take a picture of her and i looked her in the eyes and i said no that's a test i'm going to say no and she smiled you passed hmm. i said why would i want to have that image and why would I want to save that image and why would I want that image to be representative of your town yeah 
what should be represented is that little girl happy in her town in a nice dress not where she's at her lowest and weakest that just is abusing the situation and i said but i would like to get some pictures of these houses and they're not houses it's just corrugated tin yeah that have been nailed together and leaning and you know dirt floors and she said the proper thing to do is to go ask him if you can take a picture they're going to ask you for money and i said i'm broke and she says i know you're broke so i'll go talk to them and the people lined up and they smiled <laughs> yeah for me they were proud of their house good and i had to put together a slide presentation when i got back so I wanted a representative of, you know, how these people live, but I I didn't want that picture of that girl. I didn't. No. I really didn't. You know, uh, I got a picture of a 14-year-old boy who manages their internet cafe and the line of computers they saved up and bought. You know, so I, I got some good shots of positive things. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but where we found God, we found God at a um, orphanage in town. Hmm. And these are older kids, age 10 through 18 and they are placed there by the courts their families have either abandoned them or sold them into sex traffickers yeah yeah and so they're there so that they're safe it's a compound that's completely locked gate guards yeah um it's police have been called when their sex traffickers come rattling the gates with uzis trying to get the child back you know because they're losing money yeah yeah um you know and we brought our money um she the the secretary kind of misunderstood what we wanted to do and just thought we were just going to drop off cash and leave she didn't know that we wanted to stay a week and actually do projects and later on in the week she said most people bring a check we gather the kids, they get a photograph so that they can keep and feel like they've helped the kids and then they leave. The very first thing that we did pulling up with is we grabbed soccer balls and Frisbees and started playing with the kids yeah. in the open air place. Yeah. 
um, they had a seven-year-old child there. Hmm. And he was interested in my camera. Yeah. And we were all kind of shocked at seven because we were told that they only had 10 through 18-year-olds. I was, I was about to say, yeah, you, you mentioned it was more of the higher age bracket and yeah, there's kind of a child, literal child there. His mother died and the father sold him to a sex trafficker. That's horrible. And the courts had no other place to send him. So yeah. they took him in. He wanted my camera. And at first I was like, you know how long it took me to get this camera? And so I showed him how to operate it. And this seven-year-old boy just ran off with it. And in my gut, I was like, either I'll never see that camera again, or it's going to come back badly damaged. I was about to say, yeah, seven-year-olds and something expensive doesn't really go along together that well. Well, in our Western societies. About 30 minutes later, he comes back with the camera and hands it to me. And I quickly just glance through the review button on what he's taken. Hmm. <laughs> And now you have to understand, I've done art shows. I've, my art has shown in France and Canada and galleries and museums all across America. Yeah. Um, and I'm just like, tears are welling up in my eyes. Just the most beautifully captured angles of faces objects i mean just a natural eye mm. i mean i could have printed these out 20 by 30 or 50 by 50 <laughs> and hung in a gallery and sold for five to ten thousand dollars yeah wow <laughs> and a seven-year-old took him <laughs> he had a more natural eye than a trained eye so every day i let him go take pictures hmm. that was his joy um we repainted the girls and boys room we refitted them with new sheets, new pillows. We bought them a washing machine and dryer. And we tiled their showers. They just had this dingy, moldy concrete with drains broken with like just high school style shower heads. Yeah, and, I know what you mean. Not you the know, most hygienic of places at all. We got to know the kids. And the first day, a couple of them warmed up to us. The second day, more warmed up. By the third day, 
kids were coming up to each of the adults, grabbing them by the hands and leading them off to go do something. <laughs> and the director came to us and said, you are the first group that these kids have responded to because you are the only group in our 15-year history that have spent more than two hours with the kids. Wow. Most people come and drop money, get a picture, and leave. Yeah, all the care about is that photo. A, we, we spent a week there. Now, this is a shanty town still, but, you know, this is... You know, definitely a mansion compared to what was around them. And on our last day, I hear the strangest sound in my life on the street behind us. And I and we're painting the walls. Hmm. And I turn to our fellow workers and I'm like, are you hearing this? And they're like, yeah. And I said, no, are you hearing this? I said, think about it. In a shanty town, it was an ice cream truck. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell? I said, somebody needs to get in a car and track that truck down and bring it into this compound we are buying the kids ice cream yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> and then they got it all oh these God, adults yes. eyes lit up <laughs> and they were digging in their pockets for change and i said somebody needs to get in their car and go track it down <laughs> We need so one that person, ice cream truck. And so they track this truck down. They bring it into the compound. The kids line up. They get whatever they want. And they had never had ice cream. Never. Oh, bless them. Never. And the owner of the ice truck never knew what was behind those gates. Wow. And when he saw the kids and he talked to the director, he took our money since we were foreigners. But he said from here on out, every Saturday, when he finished in that shanty town, he would come to the gates, let him in, and whatever was left on his truck, he would give to the kids free. That's beautiful. <laughs> that would have never happened had I not been there. No, because he got, like you said, he never knew what it was. So when people say, what can I do to change the world? Well, I just gave you an example. Hmm. And I'm still just as broke as I was then. 
Yeah. But I still do a lot of Seva, even during the pandemic. I have found ways to do it online by helping build websites, by offering my time and talents. I've been working with you to try to get our moderators together so that we can have a meeting. We plan out the year. We engage our members. We get our members active mm -hmm. so that we're just not a Facebook group that posts stories and get likes and shares, that we're engaging with yeah. our members so that we're actually changing something on our planet. Yeah, active compassion instead of just there was a talk that I did share the other day by Ramdas about active compassion because there is the idea of compassion, like you're saying, with just simplifying this the whole situation is yeah, you can donate money and get a picture, but if you can truly help out as well, that's the service, that's helping. You know, and what you did was truly helping because you were actively helping. You weren't there egotistically for a photo. You know, you you put your time in. It's it, it's the it's the effort and the reasoning behind the action that that people are doing that gives it meaning. Because a lot of the time, people are not thinking while doing these charitable acts, and it's just throwing money, pretty much at people, not helping people. No matter what country you're in, you can Google in your country. In America, we have a group that accepts volunteers. And let's say that, you know, you're home because of the pandemic and you have time on your hands, but you're good at math. Well, you can help tutor kids through zoom with math and help the online schooling yep. of kids um you can also be paired up with small businesses that are starting up through the small business loans but they may need a mentor and you may be you know, a baker that's retired and can help them learn and mentor them in starting a baking business. Just because we're in a pandemic doesn't mean that people still don't have needs in their life. No, no, the world has not stopped turning. It you may know, seem like it to some of us, but it hasn't. There's still stuff that has to be done. So how do you want to spend your time? Do, do you want to jump from news site to news site to see what Trump's doing, what India's doing, what the farmers are doing, what Boris Johnson is doing right or wrong and allowing that anger and that fear and that frustration to be in your life? Or would you rather be spending your time doing acts of kindness from your heart that benefits another human being somewhere on this planet yeah. through an hour or two hours of your time online. Yeah. The choice is yours, how you want to spend your time. Yeah. And too much time is being wasted. 
And let's talk about mental health. Mm -hmm. If you spend too much time in the negative world with the fear and the frustrations and the anger, that causes stress in your life and stress in a pandemic is not helpful to anyone. Nope, not at all. But if we can do selfless service by no judgment, you know, I mean, I have literally made worldwide friends during this pandemic that I would have never made had I not been stuck at my house. Same, same here. It's been a weird blessing. <laughs> you know, you've rescued cows because of your views of vegetarianism. And you have cows that are now saved and, you know, you post pictures of that. I do what I can. And that's what I mean. Like you're saying, I think everyone should still be able to do what they can during this lockdown, even though we are in our own homes and stuff. There are ways, like you were saying, teaching. I I helped a few friends do English, uh, specific English writing things this lockdown, and they were across the world. But I was better grasp on English because American linguistical English is incredibly different to the way we learn over here. Well, so, you're you're from England. You're going <laughs> to know English. That makes sense. We have the cheats. We've got the cheats. I know. Yeah. I get it straight from the source, but but yeah. You do. But yeah, I feel there's there's so many things instead of just you know, people can have a time off during a lockdown. People can mope during a lockdown, but the world is still turning and like we've made friends we've been doing plant compassion things i've been helping out cows at the cow sanctuary and like i haven't moved outside the house to do that i've been, i've moved into the garden to take some pretty photos but that's yeah, all people need to do some, you grow some weird shit in england they <laughs> your house you posted a picture of a tree that grows light bulbs. <laughs> That's the weirdest plant I have ever seen. You can buy cuttings on our website. <laughs> uh, yeah. it's, a, it's a British trade seeker. I can't let you in on that one. <laughs> really? It's an agricultural deal. We, our customs won't allow it in. It's a whole Brexit thing. I can't get into the light bulb trees. Yeah. <laughs> hey there, folks. Sorry about that. Um, me and Dava, we kind of talk like two old men in a pub, and it's kind of hard for people to follow along with long podcasts. So what I wanted to do is just segment my first interview with Deva into two parts just so it's more listenable and enjoyable in durations so people can actually absorb the content better I don't like pushing massively long contents out because I can understand especially from my perspective of my attention span how hard it can be to listen to such things so yeah, tune in next week for part two where you hear the rest of the stories that we've been talking about with my amazing, amazing brother, Deva. And remember, don't forget to check the links and everything out in the bio. Much love, much light. Mwah.